0: That time of the week again. It's flat out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Freezing cold, Melbourne, Australia. We are in the midst of winter and it's getting pretty cold. Uh, the upside is there's plenty of snow up in the mountains if you want to go skiing. Uh, the downside is if you live in Melbourne and you look at the forecast, We won't be flying for a long time, based on the forecast, because it's just been really wet and cold. Cold we can probably deal with, wet we can't. Uh, Anyway, we've got a guest this week. We're back talking aerobatics with uh, Joey Tavara uh, from up in New South Wales, Uh, a guy that I didn't know very well, but do know him well now. Uh, We were Facebook friends, so have been watching him from afar So we're going to have a chat with Joey uh, a bit later, but before we do that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. What has been on my mind? A lot has been on my mind. There always, I've always got something on my mind. I think I say that pretty much every week, but I've got one of those very active brains that rarely switches off if you haven't realized. Uh, But, uh, before I talk about what's been on my mind, I've got my, my phone in front of me and I'm looking at the Festival of Aero Modeling. Just another reminder. 30th of June to the 4th of July, Festival of Aero Modeling. Australia's Joe, Null, Joe Null, Uh We're going to have guest, uh, guest pilots from Spain, Martin Pickering and his partner Raquel Abelou, uh are coming down. Raquel is a great 3D helicopter pilot, which is always cool to see. If you've never seen... 3D heli flying, and and many of you may not have because there's a bit of a lull in the whole 3D heli scene, even though helis are cool. Uh, you'll see some really good flying. And, of course, Martin Pickering, uh, the gun, the guru. He's been on the podcast a couple of times, and I think I do need to get him back on um, after he, he... I don't think I'm going to see him when he's in Australia because... I've got a bit of a hectic schedule coming up, but uh, which I will talk about shortly. But festival aero modelling, 30th of June, the 4th of July, five days, four nights at Inglewood. Was going to be at Casino Airport, not there anymore. Uh, too wet. Um, so it's been moved up to the Inglewood Airport in Queensland, very southern Queensland, just um not too too far from the New South Wales border. Festival of Aero Now, if you want if you want to register. Uh, you go to the land down under aerosports page, lduaerosports.com.au forward slash events and register. They need to know who's coming so they can plan for the onslaught. So don't forget Festival of Aeromodelling. Uh, they've just created a Facebook group called Festival of Aero Modeling Inglewood 20, 2022. Uh so they sh- so get on to that Festival of Era Modelling Inglewood 2022. Um otherwise I think the large scale Australian whatever Facebook page has information on that on the event as well. But um it's gonna be a good event. 30th, of June, 4th of July. Now I won't be going to the event. Uh the reason being is I mentioned I've got a hectic schedule. Uh now I'm recording this in advance because I'm trying to back up some um some episodes because i'm going to the us i'll be away in america for a week um i fly out on the 17th of june and we'll be back the following sunday morning so pretty just a one-week trip it's a work trip i'm going to los angeles for a couple of days and i'm going across to las vegas um to film film a video for a customer of mine um Anybody that works in construction may have heard of Leica Geosystems. Yeah, I do some work for Leica Geosystems. I should give them a plug. They they, they produce top quality surveying equipment, machine control systems, uh, what else, reality capture, 3D laser scanning stuff. They've actually got a new product called the uh, BLK2Fly. And what it is is a drone. So that's why I'm all excited. It's a drone that has a 3D laser scanner on it. Um, we're waiting for one to come to the country and I might get a fly of one, um, but uh, it, it allows you to fly a drone now and do these really accurate laser scans of buildings or land or stuff like that. And then basically digitise the environment and you can put it into a computer and then you can see all the measurements and blah, blah, blah and whatever. Um, and so pretty exciting stuff. So I'm going over with them and, uh, and um, a few other... Uh, Companies in that in that group that I do some work for, but um, I'm shooting vlogs or the kind of vlogs. I'm calling them kind of vlogs, which is interesting. If you've followed the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, uh, you've seen me sort of play around with videos. I always say that sometimes I, over my life, I've always done things which aren't for money, but they lead to money. And for example, this podcast, I've had people ask me, you know, commercially the, to help them with podcasts. And they say, "Have you done, you know, have you done podcasts before?" And I go, "Have I done podcasts before? Of course, I've done podcasts before." Uh, and and you know, I end up getting paid to do a job or something like that. And the same with the video work when people say, "Well, have you done any of this kind of stuff before?" And I go, "Yeah, yeah, I've been to events and film stuff." You know, you can have a look at my Flat Out RC Channel. So, all those people think that it's always about money. Well, it can be if it's for work, but sometimes some things lead to good money, and uh, this is one instance. So, uh, looking forward to that. So, um. I'd love to love to meet up with some modelers over there some listen to the podcast or if anybody flies in the Vegas area. Um, I've got a, l- a little patch of free time on the Friday before I fly back and that's about it. Everything else is pretty full up. So it's going to be busy. Looking forward to it though, just to get away. Um, trying to stay COVID free before I fly out. If I get COVID over there, I'll deal with it. But uh, before it means I can't go and I really, really want to go on this trip because um, I'm looking forward to the whole... Uh, whole exercise just being out of out of town for a bit um so that just has a flow on effect i'll be away from the family for a couple of weeks so um getting up to inglewood to go and play with model airplanes might be a bit of a stretch uh, family-wise so i'll be watching afar and maybe um future ones i'll uh, see if i can get up there and fly up there and uh spoke to david Gale that's uh, heavily involved in help uh, organizing it and he said he's got planes for me to fly not a problem so i wanted to take planes the hang is enormous so i'll get up there uh, now, speaking of traveling, I want to just talk a bit about um, how great it is when you get to travel for your hobby. Uh, and what's good to see is that there's a whole number of Australians that have been doing it. We had Heath MacDonald on uh, last week's show talking about his experience at the Joe uh event, which sounds absolutely awesome. Um, David Gull was over there as well. Um, the guys from Boomer RC, uh, they were over there. Um, We've got the Tucson Aerobatic Shootout that's coming up, and there's a whole bunch of Aussies going over for that. Had Aaron Garl at the Invitational Aerobatic Event, which he did really well. So congratulations, Aaron. He came fourth, fourth out of a gun selection of pilots. It's an IMAC slash freestyle competition, and uh, Aaron did exceptionally well to end up in fourth place. That's Ciccone who's been on the podcast. I've uh, spent some time with him over in China. Great guy. He took it out. Uh, great. Really, really good pilot. But Aaron to come in fourth, for, especially since he hasn't been really flying a lot of iMac recently, focusing more on the pattern flying, well done. But if you ever get that opportunity to go and travel with your hobby, then I always say do it. Yes, there's some logistical, logistical issues as a result of the big planes that we fly and that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, Sometimes there's ways around things, like we were talking with Heath McDonald, going to Joan all just take a transmitter and a battery charger and you'll be covered with everything else. You might not even need a battery charger because uh, you can buy planes there. Buy them and just sell them whilst, whilst you're there. You know? You'll know, you make some friends. They'll sell the plane for you. Uh, but um, you know, why is it good? There's just something about it that makes it feel special when you're out of your home country with your hobby. Uh, you meet new people uh, you who, of course, share the same passion as you, uh, different cultures, different food. There's always a lot of going out after hours and, and socialising. And if you do it with another bunch of Aussies, like the guys are going over for the Tucson shootout, I'll tell you what, it's going to be an unreal experience because the Australians will be really close flying the flag, uh, as will other people from other countries that will attend the event. Um, so, you know, uh, festival of era modeling and martin pickering coming out like he's going to have an unreal time and you know this message is just not for the australians if you're listening in the us or anywhere else and you get the opportunity to travel uh you know like i spent some i've spent time in china um three times i've been over there connected to flying and um you know met met the guys from extreme flight and the Duce family and all that and you know, the things that are memorable for me is just the socializing side of things because you know, we've seen a lot of flights and um, you know, we can fly planes in our, you know, our home field if we really want to, but it's the connections that you make and the people that you meet that it just broadens everything your network of aeromodelers, your experiences, um, you know, sharing different ideas, all that kind of stuff. So, tip of the day if you get the chance to travel with your hobby, jump at it. And then you can end up on this podcast talking about it as well. Well, my favourite part of the podcast, and that is means it's guest time. And this week's guest, we're talking aerobatics uh, with Joey Tavara. Uh, hails from New South Wales. Uh, Really avid uh, aerobatics flyer, especially that freestyle 3D sort of style of flight and what's interesting is Joey's sort of come into it. I was talking to Joey about this off-air, I think. I can't remember if I put it on air or off-air. It was a few weeks ago when I recorded this interview. But uh, there's been waves of 3D flies in Australia. It's always been a very sort of niche kind of group. But there's always been waves. And I've come in sort of the second wave of 3D flying uh, in, in the last 20 years, which started, oh, that wave sort of started 2012, I reckon, and ran to about... 2018 kind of time period and then that crop of three is, you know got involved in other things and life and all that kind of stuff got in the way and now we've got this new crop coming through which includes joey and you know bret uh brad worm and uh riley sills and um andy middlecoat up in queensland like this is that third generation i'm calling it and and joey's at the start of that and a really accomplished flyer um so we talked to him about you know his history of course and then delve a bit deeper into the world of he's th- a 3d flying so over to my chat with the one and only joey tavara well, we're traveling up to sydney this week uh and we're talking aerobatics because we have joseph tavora otherwise known as joey joining us joey great to have you on the podcast hey andrew Long time listener, really <laughs> happy to be here. Lost I thought you were going to say long time listener, first time caller. That's I
1: nearly <laughs> did, but I screwed it up. Yeah. To be quite frank,
0: that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> so uh, Joe and I had a bit of a chat off the air. We've never met each other. I, I've, we've been Facebook friends, and I've been watching you from afar, as as we often do on Facebook, and, and admire from afar. But I thought, you know what, need some guests. Let's get some aerobatics uh, get aerobatics back on the agenda. First of all, people may not know who you are. Just give us a bit of a background. Where are you located, all that kind of stuff? Well, I'm, I'm Joey I'm Tavra. I'm from Western Sydney. Um,
1: I've been a keen RC flyer for a long time. Um, I'm a member of a couple of clubs out here, actually. I've been, I mainly fly at um, Luddenham, the Sydney Society of Model Engineers, and my home club is Hawkesbury Model Aerosports in Vineyard.
0: Okay. A question for you. Since you mentioned the clubs, right? I always feel for people live in Sydney, especially if you live in inner Sydney, because you got a bit of a hike to get to, to fields, and it's hard to find fields. How many how many fields are located near Sydney? Like, how many options do you have?
1: I think it's a difficult question because Sydney is so huge. Um, like, um, you know, if you're in Sydney, um, I think Warring- Warringah is the only sort of uh, like. Um, internal combustion friendly field that's available. Um, out where I am out west there are four clubs, um five clubs sorry, um, that all you know cater for different parts of it. Um, five that are MAAA and I think there is one AMAS club um, which is electric only. So there are a few options um, and a lot of these clubs are very busy as well because um, we've got a lot of modelers out here and especially clubs where turbine flying is um, possible because the options there are very limited. Yeah,
0: okay. And as we know, Joey, that uh, all roads lead to turbines at the moment and you might think you'll never have a turbine, but uh, you will. Uh, Just might take time.
1: I dabbled in it and um, I ended up actually, yeah, I had a pilot Predator and um, flew it around a bit and uh, that was a lot of fun, but... I ultimately sold it to build another 3D plane. Um, But, yeah, I I have played with turbines. Um, You know, I'm good friends with uh, Clive Hodder. I fly with him at his home field, so uh, I vicariously live a bit through him and his, um, you know, crazy builds and that. It's cheaper Um, that way, isn't it? Oh, look, being his spotter is a lot cheaper than um, building the planes, but uh, I think it's better than flying them. Yeah, he doesn't do that very often, but when it does, yeah.
0: it, it really hurts. <laughs> yeah, I can teach him how to do that. I've had a bit of a bad time lately. <laughs> I, I did really enjoy your video, actually. Uh, oh, the, well, it's not my video, uh, Joey, because it was Barry Worm, the um, air crash investigator oh, yeah. from Fox flat out crash investigation <laughs> team. Um, yeah, I'm getting a bit of notoriety for that. I've had a few people say, oh, yeah, watch that video. I said, "Ah, oh, of all the videos to watch, that's the one you watched. But um, <laughs> it was just a bit of fun uh now let's get into it where did your journey in aero start you know and i said to you off air it's one of my favorite questions to ask and i do always ask it because i think it's always a good starting point but where did you get get going in this hobby well there was a lot of luck
1: um and a lot of uh interest from a young age for me um it was really fortunate actually growing up that um the late john may who's a fairly well-known era modeler and hobbyist here in sydney um, was actually the neighbor of my grandmother um growing up while i was growing up and um when i was about nine years old so you know we're talking late 90s here um he really made a huge effort um to sort of introduce me to the hobby and i had a really great bit of fortune that um My mum was uh, really motivated to, you know, help me do anything I was interested in. And so through the help of John and the support of my mother, I um, had my first model airplane when I was nine years old. And that was a big, um, sort of a big moment in my life because obviously I'm here uh, 23 years later, still enjoying this hobby.
0: Well, that is true. So... And you know, nine-year-old kids—not many nine-year-old kids get into the hobby nowadays. What was that—that that first plane? Uh, it was an Easy
1: Pigeon, which I'm sure not, hardly anyone would be familiar I've with. i am about to just yeah, a, put the Google machine um,
0: on and have a look. Yeah,
1: a NiCad-powered um, electric three-channel glider um, in the early days of ARFs. And you say about people at nine not flying very often, and it was—I think it was a lot rarer then. I think now we have a lot of. Um, you know great um, young guys going on Um, you know look at you look at how young Macklin's flying and that you didn't see kids like that um, back when I started Uh, it was so much the barrier to entry was a lot harder and I think clubs maybe weren't as comfortable or making as much of an effort for young people so I, I feel like I was very fortunate to get started flying at such a young age um, it was purely just the luck of um john may being the neighbor of my grandparents
0: yeah a bit of luck there but i always say that it always starts with a bit of luck sometimes but then you kept on going so you obviously had the passion for it and by the way the easy pigeon from uh yeah jay perkins i think it says on the website here it's discontinued model um it actually looks all right though it looks that's pretty good looking uh glider I don't mind that <laughs> it-
1: uh, the performance of it was is certainly something that you uh, wouldn't be impressed by today when you know every electric model has unlimited vertical performance but um back in the day it was it was a really great um, suggestion by um, my mentors at the time because it was a really simple clean electric model that was very easy to operate um, for a young person and was assembled by um, the more experienced friends I had. Okay, so they helped you build it, or they built it? I uh, was—they helped me build it. I had nowhere near the uh, mechanical uh, aptitude to get that task done on my own, so I was very fortunate that they guided me through that. I think I actually started it on my own, screwed everything up really badly,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: made the job of finishing it a lot harder than it
0: otherwise would have been. That's what you're supposed to do with your first model. I said always, Uh, it's got to be a botch up, but you know, and because then you learn from it, and the second one's a lot better. Yeah, I'd like to think the
1: second one was a lot better, but I think I was a very slow learner when it came to putting uh, putting model aircraft <laughs> together. I still think I'm learning, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, you know what I put it down to a confidence thing. We can probably do it. It's just that we lack the confidence to to do it well. So I'll just go and get another ARF, and if I can pay for somebody else to build it. But <laughs> so so you get that you get that that uh, that easy pigeon, and you go down to the what flying field? Where did you go? Um. That was um, in
1: Malabar in Sydney, um, SMAC, um, which I don't know if it's still continuing. I think a smaller version of it has sort of restarted it, but it was on a rifle range on a former dump there. Um, and it was a great little, little club with a really good flying area, always windy as heck being on the coast there. But um, I had yeah the great fortune to have a great support network out there at such a young age, to go model aircraft flight. So
0: they taught you, so you went out there, took the pigeon out there, and they said, okay, let's yep. get you up. Um, and how were those first few flights?
1: Oh, you're really, um, you're really testing the memory there. I actually remember oh, come on. You're not that old. Good. I remember a few good details about it. Um, obviously, buddy boxing then on a old high-tech um, uh, radio. And, uh, well, the first few visits I was on the club trainer, And I have to give a shout out to clubs that make an effort to have a available club trainer. I think that having that resource available, so when visitors come or young people come, um, you know, the instructors can give someone a lesson then and there and give them a taste of the hobby. I think that's an incredibly underrated asset for clubs. Um, But outside of that, my first flights with my plane were buddy box. They were very long. I remember like Um, getting a lot of lift and at times flying for about half an hour and having a very patient instructor. And um, I remember trying to land on my first day on the uh, fifth flight or fourth flight and uh, cartwheeling the model and um,
0: being very sad at my broken (laughs) aeroplane. Yeah, see. And then, okay, what's the next step after that though? Uh,
1: The the next step was upon seeing the very sad me, um, another one of the uh, really key people in my early flying era, another person who's fortunately, unfortunately, that's a terrible um, misspeak, unfortunately no longer with us. Uh Lindsay Chu saw my sort of disappointment and uh, vowed to have my model uh, repaired for next weekend, which uh, to his word it was, and off I went again. So, um, yeah, again, having that great, you know, group of people in that club that would support someone that maybe didn't have the technical knowledge required to fix or, you know, run an RC plane at that point in my life was, you know, something I couldn't have done it without.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then you keep on progressing, right? So what happens after the pigeon? Uh a
1: string of – I got into sort of nitro planes, the usual sort of 40-size stuff um, from there on. So I I had a few secondhand trainers that I um, purchased um, – set up to fly and then promptly destroyed because of my um tendencies to sort of start out the day very nervous um then the confidence level would increase and then eventually i would crash the airplane and the confidence level would be back lower than where i started (laughs) so i I certainly uh, destroyed my fair share of um trainers and a couple of scanners and um uh, Precedent Funfly, was that a plane
0: yeah, back then?
1: That yeah. rings a bell. Yeah, I remember yeah, turning a few of them into twigs. So, um, yeah, that was that was it for a long time for me until um, eventually I started noticing this thing called where you'd hover an aeroplane. And I, I can't remember the first person I saw doing it. I never saw anyone do it in person, but I saw it in magazines, in Airborne and things like that. And from that point on, I was quite obsessed with this concept of hovering an aeroplane, <laughs> which was something quite wild back 20 years ago. That's true.
0: And so, okay, so so you, you got that spark for, you know, we'll call it 3D flying by looking at magazines, um, which I love magazines. But uh, And then what do you do after that? So do you, do you buy a plane that you think you could hover or, you know, how did you get into it? Well, I never really
1: understood 3D. I just thought it was hovering a plane. That was, um, I think, back then that was sort of the pinnacle thing to me. So at the time I purchased one of the maybe Thunder Tiger or something like that, 40-sized um, 40, 40 uh, planes that were um, promised as a plane that could hover. And I remember working very hard at it and um, never actually achieving it. And um not that long after, I think I would have been, you know, we're traveling a lot of time here, actually, because I think I'm a late teenager by this point. And I discovered um, having a driver's license, girls, and
0: um, partying. Here we go. And all, all roads lead to cars, women, and wine. And <laughs> what is it with males? I, See, people, I always, uh, I work in marketing. And so yep. I always talk about human behavior. And there are consistent ways that humans behave. And... The male brain is crazy, but it just—I wonder whether back in the day, pre-cars, whether it was like, yeah. And then uh, imagine if we had a podcast in the eighteenth, eighteenth uh, century. Yes. Yeah, so and when I turned eighteen, I gave up building uh, uh, free-flight uh, gliders because I got into horses and carts. And, yeah, yeah. And
1: yeah. And, right. um, I, got into, I got into racing horses
0: and, um, <laughs> yeah. and tuning carts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. I put I put cool wheels on my. Uh, on oh, oh my cart, <laughs> I had racing stripes.
0: <laughs> I had the fanciest cart in town. But okay, so uh, you, so you got into wine, women, and song. But um, what you know did, was it cars that got you, or motorbikes, or what was it? Because it's always that or I think, fishing.
1: I, oh, I think I did all of them. I had um a couple of road bikes. I had um a few. Uh, Michael Lou actually and me have a bit of a bonding thing because um. We're both um, tragics for Alfa Romeos. Oh no! So I, I not, went through an Alpha phase. You're not an and, Alpha.
0: Uh, My son wants an Alpha. He goes. I want one of these Alphas as a first car. Oh, and I've had, I've had, yeah, I've <laughs> plenty of mates. I've got a mate that's got an Alpha One Hundred and Five. Was it 10 Hundred and
1: Five? One One Hundred and Five series. That's yes, sort of seventies yeah. early, very early eighties. They're worth a yeah. bit now.
0: He actually bought one yeah. off another friend that had one, and he's getting it all yeah. fixed up. There's a lot of rust in those cars. That's what I don't understand.
1: Oh. Yeah, they, they actually, at that era, soft topic for modelling, but they were purchasing some really horrible Russian steel um, because of their relationship between the Italian and the Russian government. And, um, yeah, things, things were not good. That's the thing. They're so valuable because most of them turn to dust.
0: <laughs> it's true. Well, a mate of mine, um, the same friend actually, he's got a lot of cars, um, he bought one back in, it was about 2000, and I had to go, I gave him a lift to go and pick it up, and I saw it. And back then, this is pre sort of when the internet started to really take off. So there's no like online sites. There was a magazine or newspaper down here called the Trading Post. And it had ads. People put, you know, classified ads for different stuff. And I said to him, I can, the first words I said when I saw the car, I said, I can see the ad now in the Trading Post. Unfinished project, 10% complete. Now that car turned out it had concrete in the doors to patch up the holes (laughs) And that car is now sitting out in the middle of nowhere. I think at the same mechanic who's had it for twenty years and has done nothing with it. It's great. But yeah, what else? What else disc- did you have?
1: Oh, I had um, Alpha Thirty Three sedan, which is yeah. something that has never become collectible, but it was not fun the, as a youngster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was the front wheel drive boxer engine thing, but it sounded fabulous and it had a funky interior, which I loved. And um, I had an Alpha GTV. And um, yeah, cool. yeah. when I really wanted to impress, I had a 166, which I used to like bragging that I had a $120,000 motor car. Yeah. I mean, it was $5,000 by the time <laughs> I got it for good reason. But yeah. originally, it was a hundred and something yeah. thousand dollar motor car.
0: And when my son said to me, I want one of these Alphas, one of these little hatchback Alphas, I said, No. He said, Look, I said, they w- the problem with Alphas is they depreciate like nothing on earth. If something goes wrong, that cost a fortune to fix. And he goes, well, that's the thing. It's depreciated so much already. It can't get any lower. I've gone, no, Charlie, you can still keep on going. My brother had one of those. Was it a 147 GT something? It had the V6 in it. Oh, yeah, the, the, the hot ro- one with the yes. three point two V6, I oh, think. Oh, yes. The, yeah. Yes, when yeah, he had the clutch a- on it, it was a very expensive exercise. Oh, ludicrous. And they had... um.
1: I can't remember. There was something about that car that was, yeah, timing belts and that were really common yeah.
0: as well. and, and, tor- <laughs> and that just- much grunt, you'd floor it and just veer <laughs> off in one, one direction. Yeah, the tor- tor-
1: we call tor- that the uh, lane change feature. <laughs> oh, start yeah, out in the see. right lane and then it will put you in the left lane. And by but, the
0: um, by the way, Joe, we are on topic because uh, as you, you know, you've listened to the podcast before, cars is a common thing that comes up. But There's always a stage that we aero modellers go through in regards to cars, motorbikes, and boats, and things like that, so uh, I think,
1: I think yeah. we love mechanical things, don't we? Uh, that's a, yeah, we're a fascinated group group of people, I think, and especially I think one thing I find in the hobby, and it's probably actually the byproduct of being involved in RC model flying that I enjoy the most, is just the diversity of people um, we get in this hobby. We get a lot of engineers, we get a lot of um, people maybe from a business background that also love engineering and tinkering. And we get a lot of white-collar people that are, sorry, a lot of um, like tradespeople with sort of a higher interest in, you know, fiddling and electronics and that than what they get stimulated at work. And you really find some just incredible brains in this hobby, don't you? Just people with just an amazing like mechanical empathy. I always say that we're weird. But that's good. You'd have to be weird. We we spend all of this money and effort to build these beautiful things only to put them in harm's way. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that's an eloquent way of saying, yeah, we're crazy. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Like, you know, think about like, especially with massive respect to the uh, scale folks that, you know, build much heavier models than what I fly with higher wing loadings
0: and, you know, thousands of hours of dedication and, only to put it in harm's way. It's, uh, I look at some of those. Uh, well, I'm fortunate that at my local club, I've got some of the best, you know, scale models there that are, you know, world champ level models. You know, these guys are yeah. world champs. And yeah. you just look at them and go, oh, I'll just be a bit nervous. It's such a nice plane. But you know what? They're also the same kind of guys that go, oh, well, I'll just rebuild it.
1: That's true. I think they're the people that go, it's only time. And um, I'm certainly someone that probably doesn't spend as much time building as I should. I do spend a lot of time tinkering and perfecting, but oftentimes um, I'm just a sucker for, you know, a new piece of hardware come out, like that new uh, Boomer RC ignition switch. So mm-hmm. I've got to retrofit that into all my models, and um, it's a nice feature, but, you know, it's a bit of a time sink to update everything. But these guys, instead, in the same time, have scratch-built a... Um, a nice warbird or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, so you you get into the aerobatics thing. You buy this little Thunder Tiger or what was it? Um, yeah, Thunder Tiger. By memory, it could have been anything, but yeah. And, so, and then you got into the cars and the women and the wine. Did you take a break or were you still active at a, a reduced level or what? Yeah, very much a reduced level. I've always had the good fortune that um,
1: my parents live on a farm and I've had some space for um, – backyarding with small electric models. So that kind of kept me a little bit interested for a while. And then I think in sort of my early 20s, I think I was about 23 or so, I started noticing sort of the electric revolution in the hobby um, and how simple it was with small models and how much cheaper it was than it used to be. So I, I became really addicted at that time. And I think it was about then I sort of bought a few of the like Hobby King aerobatic models and that and i started to realize that it was a lot easier than it used to be to fly electric and that was kind of just a something i did for you know five or so years i lived in you know a bunch of um typical 20s share houses and that so I didn't have a lot of space or extra cash and uh, eventually in about 2017 i um noticed that uh the hawkesbury model aerosport club was just down the road from me and i thought hey I'll um, join a model aircraft flying club again. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, the addicted started again. The addiction started again. It, it, kicked it, it, it absolutely kicked it off, didn't it? I've always said, if you, you know, if you, people buy model aeroplanes and gear after they've been to a flying club because they're all motivated. So, I um, as we were recording this, and this is a few weeks in advance to the release, I'd just been to an iMac event and Everyone loved it. They, have, they had a ball. And you could tell because on the Monday, you see all the Facebook posts and they're still buzzing. So no, nobody did any work or got anything done on Monday because they were still on a high from the great weekend. And they leave there thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I should buy a new plane. Oh, it's unreal. And they buy new planes. Or people go to fun fly events, have a great time. The next minute, uh, next week, they've bought something. And uh, I've always, when I was selling model aeroplanes, the 3D hobby shop stuff, um, my peak times were actually summertime when people would go out and be at the flying fields, not in winter. People think, oh, in winter, it's a winter project. They'll buy their winter project and be ready to go for springtime. Uh-uh. They were buying it when they were active in the hobby, which was in the better weather periods kind of thing. So um, interesting side note there. So, okay, so so what So, we're about – where are we at 2017, you said?
1: Yeah, sorry we jumped forward a bit there. But no, no, we're allowed to I do that. There are no rules here. A, yeah, a lot of those um, gaps weren't particularly exciting for an era modelling f- time but um getting back involved with a club with a, you know making a lot of new friends and um really seeing how far this hobby had come since the last time I was involved in a club really kicked things into gear.
0: Yeah and then um okay so you had the the small foamies and stuff like that, but you started to get bigger didn't you with your models? Well I I'd never really noticed petrol models
1: in my first let's say stint involved in clubs. Because I guess in that era, it was sort of more Zanoas, And I think, um, you know, the DA-100 would have been around, but I had never seen one at that time besides in magazines. And I sort of saw a lot of people with, you know, um, 120cc uh, aircraft for the first time in my life. And I just sort of went, wow. Uh, that was, you know, really something that shocked me. It shocked me how easy they were to operate, how reliable they were, and how, you know, with enough wheeling and dealing in the second-hand market, they were actually relatively affordable um, because obviously when you scaled things up 20 years ago, it was largely big nitro motors and that. And they weren't really a lot of fun, but the petrol motors are just, as you know, just so simple and cheap to run, easy to operate.
0: That's true. Once you get them tuned up nicely, I'll just stick there oh. and off you go.
1: Yeah, I, I, I describe it to people who sort of say, you know, internal combustion is intimidating or that kind of thing. And I go, look, if you can operate a whippersnipper, you should have no trouble operating one of our modern gas motors. Um, I've owned, you know, DA, DLE, GP, and uh, people always are, you know, really like their brand and I respect that. But I have to say, all of the modern engines I've had have just
0: been really good. I, I don't have anything bad to say about any of them. It's true. I've seen all the brands flown and and emphasis on that word flown. They've all worked. You know, and, and that's right. They're not extremely sophisticated things, these motors. I think that the two-stroke
1: engine is an invention that's been
0: around a while, um, <laughs> to say the least. A bunch and of 18-year-old kids that got bored with their free-flight models probably invented the... The two-stroke motor. We need something that makes noise. Um, But yeah, it's not. It's not. I always say you need spark, air, and fuel, and that's it. That's all you need. And if there's a problem, there's probably something along that. And we and we really we rarely see major faults with these motors. Like people, oh, you know, blew a piston and that kind of thing. Sometimes you do, but it's not very Mm -hmm. common at all. It's in my experience,
1: it's not been very common at all. I guess've I've sort of said to people going about it, I've sort of said, um, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned. I like looking at spark plugs because I think that they um, warn you before something bad's about to happen in the case of lean engines. But I basically say as long as your cooling setups good, your mechanical throttle setup's good. <sighs> you know your fuel setup's obviously good. make sure you've got clean fuel and good filtration they really are straightforward to run and you know it's about especially if you're new to gas you know look around at your club who's flying gas models week in week out and having a good time uh go talk to that person and i'm sure they'd be happy to help you you know follow in their footsteps so to speak i was very lucky i had um another fellow who's no longer with us with us um leon from uh, hawkesbury who was a a, uh, engine builder as a trade actually and he um helped introduce me to gas motors and was great help and a few other members and you know
0: outside of that i've just had a great time with gas motors i touch touched wood haven't had one stop on me in four years well you like me you've either got gas or electric and you don't have anything in between
1: these days i am um i really couldn't see myself having another nitro model at this stage i um i even bought an fg60 for a project um you know, to get some of that radial sound. I think this comes back to our car thing. You know, we love the sound of engines and uh, hearing those uh, new, you know, Sado petrol radials and the kind of noises they make uh, reminds me of being an alpha enthusiast <laughs> as far as the noise goes although I think the Sados are a bit more reliable and they're <laughs> a bit better built
0: <laughs> Might not go rusty as quickly now the, yeah so um so when you got back into it what was that first larger scale petrol plane that you got
1: um well the first sort of modern aerobatic plane I got was a pilot extra from um from desert aircraft and uh I remember annoying um, Mark and Howie a bit because I was getting back into it and had no idea what I was doing and they helped me set up an electric model and got me going and for the first time in my life I could consistently hover a 3D plane you know, a few inches above the deck and that was really exciting and then uh, started seeing some gas models and going, well, I clearly need a 120cc plane I want to be able to fly like Jay Stusia (laughs) And uh, that's the next step. And
0: if I just buy his plane, I think I'm halfway there. Yeah,
1: and if and if I can't do it, uh, it's clearly because my servos aren't fast <laughs> enough or have enough torque. <laughs> uh, you know, that then. is a
0: great one. That is true. I, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and there'll be someone listening to this podcast potentially, and they know, um, you know, their son said wanted to up upgrade his servos, and I'm like, are they working now? Yep. Okay. He's not gonna notice any difference. It's just that when he crashes it, he's just gonna do more damage. You know, kind of he's gonna lose the servos, maybe potentially as well. Ne- never under underestimate the psychological advantage. <laughs> um a,
1: a lot of people probably know a famous flyer by the name of Lawrence Lowe here in Sydney, Oh, Lawrence very, Flylo. He's absolutely brilliant at Is he still going around know, uh,
0: Yeah, he's still going around. I he's, sold him um, aeroplanes and he'd always say Andrew you give me a it's discount you give me a discount i've been to his house actually i delivered yeah, a plane yeah. to him up in sydney He's a lovely guy great yeah great backstory he'd be a good one to have on the podcast actually oh actually that's a great idea because
1: for me he was actually now that you mentioned he was actually one of the key influences of me sort of really enjoying 3d because he really encouraged me
0: and by the and way um, how old do you reckon Lawrence is now Late 80s?
1: Oh, I, he's a good friend of so. I'd really prefer to not, well, he's not Look, he's not a young chap. And, no, he, he's, and, he's, and he'll still park a 3D plane an inch above the deck yes, in front of him. that's what they call you Lawrence know, know, Fly Low. I, I know people in their 40s that, you know, really have struggled to achieve that. And you see Low still parking a plane or that low to the deck, or he likes doing um, snap roll circles and uh, lots of sort of old school aerobatics. But... A funny little anecdote of flying one of his planes at uh, Hawkesbury once and um, I said I complained about something and he he leant over and flicked a switch and then he said now try and I said oh that feels a lot better and um, he went purely psychological it really <laughs> he, just, yeah, he went a switch that didn't do anything and, just, and I'm like yeah this, this you fixed it the rifle rolls feel better or the rolling harriers feel better or something it's the j doozy yeah. button. That's the J-switch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, it always cracked me up. I'm purely psychological was his um, explanation for what he did. These and a and I, think that's a big, I think there's a big element of that because coming back to our equipment side of things, I think a lot of the equipment we have available is really good. And I think people blame equipment maybe sometimes
0: when it's not their problem. Yeah. It's, I, I literally had that discussion with a friend of mine today when I left work. I said to him, oh, all these people with their servos and whatever. I said, servos nowadays, they're all pretty good. For the average <clears throat> punter there, it's only if you're a top-notch, world-class pilot, you will notice the difference in servo speed. So I've had chats with Martin Brandmill and Sascha Ciccone and, and even Ido Segev, and they, and they say to me, oh, yeah, how's that? I say, how does that plane fly? goes, oh, servos could be a little bit faster. Oh, oh yeah. I wouldn't know. The 99% of us wouldn't even know the w- difference.
1: I wouldn't know. And I, I basically put those kind of flyers and i put Aaron in that category too and, you know, a few other guys. And I, I call them the aliens, you know, like the rest of us, we're, we're not on the same planet as them. Uh, so for what the average punter is going to feel, like people always ask in the Facebook groups, like, should I buy the slick or should I buy the edge? And I'm like, unless you've got one of those last names, it's probably not
0: going to matter. Pick the one you think looks the coolest. Have you seen my right. replies? I go all of them. Somebody wrote, "All of them are really yeah. good." <laughs> Someone said, "What 85 inch extreme flight plane should I? Is the best one? Which one should I get?" I've got all of them. Yes. No. The answer is yes. Yes.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which one should I buy? Yes. yes. <laughs> Just, you know. You know. It, it really is incredible, and I understand that there is nuance to all the designs, and there is. Um, I know, like in the uh, Skywing range, the laser does better rifle rolls than say the NG I have, um, at the expense of a higher wing loading and things like that, but. You I know, can't rifle roll. It <laughs> doesn't make a difference. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I, I deliberately chose the plane that couldn't rifle roll because my <laughs> rifle rolling abilities are quite suboptimal. Well, you, can, you, um, you can
0: say, look, it's not me, it's a plane. I can rifle yeah, roll, but just this yeah. plane was not designed for it, so I don't. Yeah, if I, if I had the to. laser,
1: I'd do great rifle rolls. Yeah, and, of course,
0: uh, but i choose not to.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like I've flown most of what's available now and it's it's all really good. And I just say the main three assays, um, pilot, extreme flight, and um, Skywing, and you know, all three brands make really great flying planes that ninety-nine percent of three D enthusiasts will really enjoy flying.
0: Well, I've told you, I've seen um, you know Martin Branwell, who's a world-class pilot, won the European XFC and all that kind of stuff, and he, I've seen him fly a junky Hobby King aerobatic plane, foamy. And he made that look good. <laughs> I've gone, yeah. And I said to him, how does that fly? Not very, not very good. I go, well, it looked pretty good. And so, yeah, you're right. There's, there's not much difference now at that top end. Um, they're all pretty, pretty capable. And any, any 3d maneuver that you wanted to do, any of these airplanes are more than capable to achieve everything. Everything.
1: And, and my opinion certainly comes not from a position as being anywhere near that group. You know, I, I'm I don't compete or get to these competitions, even though I'd really like to start making that a part of my flying. Um, but I just, I'm someone who just enjoys uh, the opportunity to have people shouting out things from the uh, peanut gallery at me yes. <laughs> of lower, or if you get a few ooze from the crowd, you know, I'm pretty happy at my level.
0: I just witnessed um, Brad Worm, who's appeared in a few of my videos. He's a man of many words, Brad Worm. But, uh, I saw he did a bit of a, a demo freestyle flight at the iMac event on Saturday. and I've got to send him a message and tell him this, but he's just gone to the next level. He, he is now, the precision in his manoeuvres and the how low he's getting, mind you, he was borrowing someone else's laser extreme flight laser and doing this demo <laughs> and he's like he's trying to do tail touches on you know hovering but the 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 precision of his knife edge passes straight down the middle of the strip really really low and slow i was in there going, man this guy's bumped up but he's a kid who's 16 and he yeah. has spent the past couple of years at least at least the past couple of years on the simulator, doing a truckload of simulator work. He lives out on a farm. He said um, he spent a lot of time flying foamies, you know, just go out the backyard and never fly. So it's just time. And, and he's flying extreme flight lasers. He really likes them. But he flew a guy's three-meter yak krill. What well, uh, Was a krill? I think it was a krill or a comp bar from the two, composite model. Um, and he flew that, borrowed that, and, and competed in the iMac. He may have won his category. I think he did. Uh, And it's a plane he's never flown before. So what does it tell you? You know, it's like the guys just put the time in, and like you have, I've seen some videos of you flying, and man, you're getting down there. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) uh,
1: It's actually funny you mentioned Brad. I I ran a um, a uh, Discord channel that runs parallel to Down Under Model Aerosport, my little um, yeah, yeah, part of uh, Facebook and worms on there and it's funny because you know the whole point of that uh discord was to get online real flight sessions happening and you know when i first started up it was every night at about six o'clock were gone. going okay i've started the server who's yeah yeah, yeah. Who, who, yeah sim sim question mark who's coming yeah, yeah. i get that uh, i still get that, t-
0: that from him and i go where got to do work not tonight yeah we're
1: we're adults we get <laughs> tired and we, we're, we're lazy <laughs> and uh, it shows the workload too, though. I think the big thing which I see these young guys is a lot of people credit the ability to just being young or you know, the equipment or the support from the family, but really they all work really hard at it, and that's uh, that's got to be, to me, the, the key ingredient to being able to do what Wormby does or obviously watching Riley fly. I got to fly with Riley up at Casino last year, and I was blown away by that guy, very absolutely polite young man and a great patron of the hobby, but um his flying is just fantastic. And he's, you know, just such a great showman in his flying as well. I think he really enjoys uh flying for the crowd.
0: Yeah. And again, yeah, we've all it's funny how people get that thing, oh, they put it down to oh, they're just a kid. No, no. Plus they've got the time because they're just at school, you know, Wormy does does work, you yeah. know dairy farm now and again make a bit of cash saving up to buy a car so it makes him more mobile hopefully you know just be careful he's in the danger zone right now <laughs> no he is in the danger zone there's a whole bunch of them offline club a good bunch of guys and good pilots as well and uh but we're i don't think when going to slow down to be honest i think this is no nah,
1: he is super passionate and something from knowing him a bit is also his technical aptitude is incredibly yes. high for his age I he'll be listening I,
0: he'll be listening to this he listens to every single one of them so he's going uh, his uh, head's getting bigger we're going to be
1: really careful about
0: this well look yeah. i know the kid well he's a good guy and he's a good friend yeah. of mine and he uh, you know he, he's from the country he hasn't got much else to do you know and but he's a different kid he's very mature for his age and yeah he's yeah. he like he i turned up at his club with this 100cc this 108 3d Hobbit shop extra that i've got and I was made in flight and he's just going through it and he finds a problem and goes, oh, who put this plane together? I'll fix it. And he's getting into his tool thing and he's fixing things up. And, you know, we had, to, we had a CG issue and he jerry-rigged something so the batteries could move forward more and all this kind of stuff. So he's pretty handy like that. Just play dumb and he'll fix it, everything it, for you. It,
1: it's a bit offensive to me because I think about how hopeless I was at putting planes together at that age. And then he's putting 120cc planes together to such a brilliant standard. And even I'll just send him. He'll see photos of my build and go, "Oh, have you recon You should reconsider this." And it's like, you're not allowed to be this good. So he like, gave you more know.
0: than one-word answers, which he gives me when I shoot videos with him. Yeah, I had him on. The, I had him on on uh, one of my Instagram stories. Wormy, back at the iMac event. How's it going? Good. Yes. No. That was Harrison. That was Harrison Ritter. I said, "Harrison, you want to be on the uh, podcast uh, And the Instagram story?" Goes, "Yeah, yeah." go "Harrison, how's it going?" Goes, "Yes." <laughs> so they're all popping <laughs> wormy now with one word answers. But there's this, there's this group down here. There's you know, he's a, he's a trendsetter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually we're all we're all sim buddies. We're on this. Uh, Facebook Messenger group, and we get on the sim now and again. And but the last time we all got on, I was I bought a jet ski, and I was I just brought it home that day, and I was reading the um, the jet ski manual to them. I all these kids are flying and going, <laughs> and when you start the engine, you must... <laughs> and it was like a half past ten at night, and they're still going, and I'm just reading this manual to them. So and they're um,
1: scraping wingtips in three hundred mile per hour rifle yes. rolls, and uh, you so,
0: know. Uh, what part has the sim played in your development in your 3d flying
1: it's such a it's an interesting question because i've actually heard instructors say they don't like the sim because they think it teaches bad habits and things like that but to me sim is all about coordination training i think that the sim doesn't really teach you flight dynamics very well i think that they're quite accurate but also at the same time i think there's definitely a, a disconnect between reality and the simulator as far as how planes respond to post-door flight, but the coordination is exactly the same. So, if you want to re- learn rudder walks or rolling Harriers or hovering, even the coordination you gain from the sim is just you know, you can't measure it. Like, I think, um, Jace posted a while back, you know, people like how do you in one of the Facebook groups, and uh, somebody commented, How do you learn to rifle roll? and he posted a photo of a worn, a worn out, um. Uh, spectrum sim controller real flight controller and it's like that's the answer you you wear out controllers that's how you learn to do it there's there's no magic trick to set up you know
0: you explain things so well and you're 100 percent correct and i always say to instruct you know like i learned how to fly on a simulator then went to a field and i took off and landed first flight it's jay's do series on the sim all the time it's like yep. homework all the time and like you said it's just training those fingers you know when you want to flick it to knife edge your fingers just do it automatically because you've done it nine million times and you train your brain and it's like
1: going to the gym compared to doing the actual thing you know it's it's yeah of course everyone can say it's not the same thing but it's it's what you can do to practice when you can't get to the field i mean if 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 i could spend you know if i fly today on a 120 cc plane that'd be awesome but I can't do that. But I could spend that time on the
0: simulator. Exactly. And I always find, though, that if I um, you know, go through a period of – sometimes what I'll do is when I'm really keen and have time, I'll sit and say, okay, every night, get on the sim for half an hour. Just do half an hour of training, yep. right? And by the end of the week, I'm feeling really fluid and confident. And when I get to the field – I found this when I started flying Hallies. If the night before I did a really good sim session on helis, the next day I was so much better. It was like, you know, if you ha- if you play tennis or something like that and you haven't played for a while, then you-, you come back after a month, you're a bit rusty and your timing's a bit out. The sim gets the timing back in and the confidence level's up and then when you get out to the field, you go, yep, I've got this. I know what I need. Like I,
1: I think you really nailed it there because I actually make the, the tennis analogy because I played tennis for a while as a youngster and it was like, you know when we practice tennis for to play competitively you know you play four times a week you practice four times a week and you'll do half an hour of forehands and when we go to the field maybe we fly once a week we have four eight minute flights you know the cumulative time practicing is very low and you've got to find a way to increase that and you know the sims the way the foamies are the way in the backyard
0: it's just no. There's no substitute for stick time, is there? Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at a video today of the um, the Deuciers. and if anybody's listening, don't know who Jace Ducear, is go onto YouTube and type Jace, Jase J A S E Ducear D U W. They're not
1: interested in RC flying if they don't know. Well,
0: well, I know what you mean. We have to introduce them to it. I know Jace. he's a good guy. I spent some time with him in China. He's a lovely guy, and here is a guy that he's honed his gentlemen. And when he flies, the precision of his flying and what he's doing is phenomenal. But I was watching a video today. They've moved down south. dad got a new job or whatever. And they've got this new house. And it's on like 45 acres. And why do you reckon they've got that property with 45 acres? Because <laughs> Jason now has his own strip. Now, when he lived further up north, he did rent out a paddock from a farmer where he could cut yep. a strip. And the reason being is he then had unlimited access to his own strip by himself. And plus the way that he flies, it's pretty aggressive 3D flying, that he knows that a lot of clubs would not appreciate him being there because they'd say it's unsafe and whatever. Now, I've stood next to him whilst he's flying and that guy's in 100% control. He's next level when it comes to flying. But the commitment to flying... Is so strong and he's still honing his craft. It's like oh, he's a I master craft. It's craftsman incredible. It. But having a, now he's got a field. He's got the electric area where he can fly but also the gas area. And Yeah. So, and the whole idea is stick time. He now yeah. he needs to go. He did university online, right, so that he could go yeah. flying.
1: It right. was interesting watching him over the last few years too because in the time I've gotten back into the hobby, his flying – You know, five years ago was incredible. But the fact that year on year out it's gotten better um, is what's really intimidating. It's the fact that, like, every time you see a new Joe Noor video, it's somehow more aggressive, more controlled, more precise, and better than the previous one. And I think that's why a lot of people are sort of trying to play catch up in that field of sort of demo and. Uh, freestyle is because yeah you know the, the guy's just working so hard and he's
0: reaping the benefits of the hard work yeah definitely and, and that's it's, it's the same with anything like if you play guitar you know yeah guess what the good guitarists they practice more than you they've been playing yeah. a lot and and he also and i also think and i always say this to the young guys you're setting your foundations for the rest of your life in model flying by the effort that you mm. put in now and make mm. the effort now and when you're 30 like Lawrence Lowe. Lawrence Lowe has obviously been flying for a long time. And in as an older gentleman, he's still very capable as a pilot. He has that foundation that that he can sort of fall fall back on. Even though I've seen how he's have you been to his house?
1: Uh yeah, I have visited. Have you uh, seen how he
0: stores his planes? I no comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I've never seen anything like it. He's going. I show you some of my planes. And anyway, they're they're sitting in like he lives in like an apartment building right near the water in in Sydney. It's a beautiful place. And he um and he's got like um storage cages, and he's got he's done deals with some of the neighbors where he can put some of his planes. But we're talking about giant scale aerobatic planes just sitting on their noses, just plonked up, mm. leaning up against each other. But he, you know, yeah. he loves it. Absolutely loves he's- it. It's just the passion level and and the
1: ability like it's amazing watching. but I think it also comes down to the experience like when we look at some of the older guys we fly with, um, you can always see the guys that have competed, that have gone to competitions or have flown at the international level that they've always got sort of a special level of field to how they fly. Um, you know, I fly occasionally with Steve Keep, who's certainly not in that age group, but I look at the feel he has for his flying and it's like, I can tell you know, you've know you just spent thousands of hours practising your pattern flying based on the level of control because he picks up the sticks on planes I own and lands them better than I do, which is very irritating, I have to say. It's quite offensive. I wish people would bounce. I wish when I give my friends a fly of my planes, they'd bounce them or something <laughs> on landing yes. just to make my ego
0: feel better. <laughs> Oh, but I always say, I agree, I always say that, that you can tell guys that have competed in Patton or IMAC or even scale comps where they'll bring a plane in and, you know, like Glenn Orchard, who's yet to be on this podcast but did tell me that he will come one day. He's, you know, flew Patton for Australia and multiple world champs. Any plane that he flies, he, he pinpoint accuracy. He never fluffs a landing and that is just that, that foundation of control of, of the aircraft, that they're they're flying ahead of the plane, they're not chasing the plane at all. And yeah, I, I totally can agree with you in in, in that regard. Now, let's talk about some of the planes that you're currently flying now, because I'm always just know what people where people are up to. But what what's your main main planes now? Um, I I have two uh, 120cc class planes
1: now that I fly. I have a Extreme Flight laser, a red laser, which is oh, sort of like the you and every life dog. The- the head—it's like the headlights of the hobby. It's like they're that common. It's,
0: they're like the headlights of the uh, hobby—that's great.
1: Yeah, oh, they're they're just so common, and there's a reason for it. They they do do everything really well, and I think people are just—I personally love the look of them. I think with the uh, nice wide cowl and that, they just sort of stand out a bit. I got mine. Um, I can't remember the particular reason I got mine. I think it's just purely watching all the videos of people flying them and the amount of people who became a bit addicted to them for a long stage there. And that's a, you know, desert aircraft, um, obviously gave me a lot of, um, advice and encouragement on what way to go with that. What mode are you running in there? Um, I actually bought a GP one, two, three for that. Um, that's gone on two years. I really like them, but I can actually understand a few of the complaints about them. They will kick back. Um, And the other thing is when it was new, it really got hot very fast. And it was only thanks to running uh, temperature sensors that I knew it was getting really hot. Mm. And, yeah, for the first sort of 10 to 20 litres, it was ready to cook itself. Um, But after that run-in period, it's actually been really bulletproof engine and, you know, really powerful.
0: So that's interesting Um, because I've seen um, GP123 is very popular in, in, in China. And I've yeah. been in China an event where it was boiling hot, asphalt runway. Yeah. So much so yeah. that in the middle of the day they'd stop the event because it was just too hot. And we'd go off to air yeah. conditioned restaurants and just eat like pigs. But um but so I've seen engines in the worst possible conditions and they were all okay. And the GPs are truckloaded GPs and and you know, they apparently they produce a lot of a lot of power. I've found that Based on what I've seen, the GP123
1: is really up there power wise. I think the thing about power too is that, you know, often the measurement you see is peak RPM, which I don't really think is relevant to what we're doing because we're looking at that acceleration. We're looking at that mid range torque. You know, how do you have to prop it to have a response down low? Um, Obviously, it's very, people are very opinionated, like anything from 29.9s to 2712s in the prop range people run on these 120cc. What are you, what are you oh, I'm, I just run a 2810, and that seems really spot on for the GP for me. Um, I don't like to rev them very hard. I actually um, use telemetry to sort of remind me when it's getting a bit noisy. And the 2810 doesn't seem to run out of puff too quick. I think if I was flying iMac, I'd probably want a bit more prop than that just to keep the
0: noise down and have a bit more top end. Well I've got a twenty nine nine on one of mine and um she likes to rip. They do like
1: to on oh no, a GP one two three.
0: Oh no on an AME one twenty. Yeah. Uh, and well the twenty nine by nine will rip I've got a DA one twenty my other hundred cc with a could be a twenty eight ten and that's that's fine. That's not a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm probably not in the category of flyer that will really feel a whole lot of difference mm-hmm. um, but I've just always been happy with 28 inch props so I've sort of stuck I to that. Jace is using 28, yeah, I know he's done it. 20 28 9.5 he's he's created like I think the 28 9.5 is the most is the best selling falcon propeller been because of Jace. Him, no, it's always in his builds um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh he's uh, always runs the 28 9.5 so that's become I think almost a meme in the hobby that that's the prop you have to have. Oh, I see, oh, that's um, it. I'm buying one of those now, Falcon. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's flying you, Falcon
0: you, now. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You'll fly a lot better. Your rifle rolls will be perfect. really. Oh, yeah, okay. with the 28 9.5. <laughs>
0: oh, no. oh, yeah. I'll send him a message and say, Jay, so here, that's the prop for rifle rolls. But um, <laughs> I've never done one. But if I get that prop, I should be fine. Yeah. Okay. So, what radio gear are you running? Um. Oh, this is controversial,
1: but oh, I, no. I, I, I fly a fast guy. Oh, no! And, uh, I have for a long time. Uh, you should have asked this question at the start of the episode. It would have
0: saved you a lot of time. <laughs> you mode one or two? Mode one. Oh, yeah. mode. Wrong mode as well. Yeah, no, mode um, two is a mode of champions.
1: Mode two, uh come on. I, I show some patriotic pride to our old ways of mode one.
0: <laughs> yeah, only in Australia. <laughs> but what does Jace yeah. fly? Mode two, you won't be able to rifle roll like <laughs> That's you. the rifle roll. That's <laughs> yeah. that. That's the not roll.
1: That's the only reason I can't rifle roll. Good. Uh, actually, exactly. I'm happy about that to have a good excuse.
0: Yeah. Anything. I'll, I'll latch onto any excuse I can find. Yeah. Um. The f guy's fine. Like I always say, yeah. all that works. Everyone goes, oh no, I'm this is but, better. And this is better. You know.
1: This is where I come back to from the early comment is that I think pretty much all of what's available at the higher, mid to high end of the market is really good quality.
0: Yeah. Everything, um, everything's pretty good. Even from servo perspective to radio gear and all that kind of stuff. And the, the good thing about FR Sky is that it's, it's a bit more affordable, but it's it got a lot of functionality.
1: And it's like, I think FreeSky have a, um, FR Sky have a policy when it comes to products that they sort of, they'll make 30 different versions of receivers and then they'll just keep making the ones that sell. And so there's such a vast range, but I do think all the brands are really good. I personally really enjoy the uh, telemetry capabilities. All my uh, gas models have a really big host of telemetry combined with advanced radio um, distribution boards. Um, The AR Extreme is something that's gonna go in every one of my planes from now on because it does have that telemetry functionality with the simplicity of model, and also I'm a bit of a sucker for the low frame rates, so I like being able to set up a, um, you know, potentially a three-meter plane if I wanted to as a seven-channel model and run an eight-millisecond frame rate and not have to go to those, you know, slow 18 or 16-millisecond frame rates. Yeah,
0: okay. Now, okay, so you've got the laser um, Yeah. with the GP123 in it. Yep. tell me about your other model because i'm interested in the other one ah
1: oh the other one's um been really popular and it's it's actually become my daily the um extreme flights become a bit the special occasions plane and that's a uh, skywing 104 inch extra ng and um that is actually running a dle 130 um with uh with the uh check cans i can't is it uh jtm G- JMB, I always get that mixed up. JMB canisters and headers, and um, I have to say, I'm actually a convert to headers. Uh, if Wormy's still listening by this point, he'll have listened to me complain that headers are pointless for a long. time, um, The canisters are pointless for a long time, but I'm actually a convert now after building this model, and uh, that's just been a phenomenal um, package uh, plane-wise. I like the quick assembly because when you're flying that size plane, you know every weekend a lot of screws gets annoying and the clips and that on the Skywings are
0: really effective. I've seen the, the the mechanism and I think it's one of the best going around. Uh, and this was, they, they were sort of the first um, sort of aerobatic, large scale aerobatic manufacturer to look at ways in which to speed up the assembly at the field. And so they used uh, magnetic pins that would literally just yeah. drop in place and you yep. were done. No more screwing. If you go, actually, if you go and have a look at the Flatout RC YouTube channel, uh, the uh, 2019 um, CTS event, the video that I've done, I actually have that in the video. I went and said, "Look at this." And I went over yeah. to, I went, I walked over to the guy that um, builds the Extreme Flight planes. He was there. He owns the factory. Yeah. And I said to him, "Hey, buddy, you've got to get into these. Um, get on this." And he said. Yeah, yeah, we're doing something. We're doing uh, we're doing we're working on something. It's same same outcome but sort of different design. And that's then led to Pilot R C doing their thing and then Extreme Flight doing their thing. But this pin mechanism I said to the guys, have and it was like a prototype, I think that they were flying. I said, have they ever fallen out? And he goes, three hundred flights and they haven't moved.
1: I've yeah, I'm sort of two and a half years, three years of flying skings with that, two years flying skings with that setup and it's been bulletproof and i think it's it shows how competition is so good for the market because you know jinway um you know came up with this great idea and he's actually involved evolved the concept since then as well and we look at pilots implement implementation and actually i have to say um yeah my buddy stephen green has a uh a new extreme flight extra which has the extreme flights new version and you know they've taken what skywing's done and they've added tweaks to improve it even more. So it's been really great for the market and great for us flyers that's going, came along and saw, hey, people are lazy and don't want to put screws in and screws wear out, wood compresses, how
0: about this for a solution? I hate that. That's why why I was so impressed thinking, yeah, imagine if I had that. Like I've got old generation 100 cc 3D hobby shop stuff that I used to bring. Oh, in. it hurts putting four, four just four screws for putting out stabs on. Is feels oh, like a real I'd, chore. No, no, I've left my stabs in because you know, and I leave them in my yeah. trailer, and that's it because that's one yeah. less thing. But even putting the the wings on, um, I've got uh, I put screws in. And then Mm -hmm. a split pin and the split pins are pain in the butt to get in and out. I actually use pliers to pull in and out, Uh but yeah, just something as simple as that. And then the other thing that they've all started to do is utilizing carbon more. So that's, it's brought the weight down of the planes a little bit, but they won't need to get much lighter because they'll just get too light and then won't fly as well. But But um, and Skywing's right up there. Now, tell me, Skywing's one of those brands that we don't hear a lot here in Australia. I've seen plenty of them in China. And like you said, they're the sort of the three dominant brands. And there's another brand that's sort of coming up called OMP that I've seen in China Mm -hmm. a fair bit that are doing some nice quality models. But um, you've got that Skywing, the Pilot RC, and and Extreme Flight being up at the upper echelons. Where did you get your Skywing from here in Australia?
1: Um, Initially... A few years back, no one was bringing them in and there was actually a group of gentlemen in Queensland doing a group buy, so I got my first Skywings from them and um, being quite pleased with it. I um, Since then, Mark Hu in Queensland has been bringing them in and uh, so is Steve at AusStars. So I bought one plane from each of those guys and had really great service from both and, you know, really quality airframes out of the box yeah. all round. So that's how I've gotten my models. Um, I know Steve has started to stock them, so there's a few in Sydney, which is nice. Yeah, And Yeah, we really just benefit. We benefit so much in this hobby by having more competition, I think, because uh, just the quality is really up there these days. I'm just – when I go back just the four years from when I got back into this, five years when I got back into this, I just look at what – all the brands give you out of the box now. And it's just such an incredible product. And well, I respect that, you know, prices came up, COVID, um, and the cost of uh, shipping and materials has gone up, but I think that we're still getting a very good deal from all of the brands and all the suppliers because I just think what we get and how straight our models fly out of the box, like um, Stephen's new Extra is just they're just incredible
0: and the quality was just unreal you look at them and you know this is going to be fine on maiden. it's not going to be an issue
1: yeah people people get stressed and it's like no it's an extreme flight you've done every or a pilot or a skywing you've done everything conventionally you've put it together right it'll just fly really well and it'll mm. fly straight like there's no we're beyond the days of getting it done i think which yeah. is um we're so spoiled in that That's regard. true
0: and we have gone to that next level and you know I think that um, having met some of the manufacturers and stuff, and seeing how Jace Duccia flies, and having that connection, like you see someone like Jace flying that really started to push the envelope. And there's not many, there have been people over time that have bumped the hobby up and the flying standard up to a different level. That, you know, the latest crop of 3D flies is a copping Jace, basically. That's what, that's yeah. their benchmark. Go There's back, a leader there. Yeah, go back before that. It was Dan Holman, Joe Smith for 3D yeah. Hobby Shop and all that kind of stuff. And it was a different style of flying. As, um, you know, someone like Jace comes along, he demands more out of an airframe and then he worked with Extreme Flight and, ext- and so they had to react. So taking a kilo, like the difference between a, a 104 extra version 1 and a, and a version 2 in the Extreme Flight range is one kilo. That's, That's the difference. Incredible. They make um, – they did something, they may have made the ailerons bigger, but the wing is the same, the fuselage is the same. Um, and why do they have bigger ailerons? Roll rate. How do you do rifle rolls better? Need roll rate. Jace needed more roll rate. The the extreme flight slick was actually built to Jace Ducey. That's Jace Ducey's plane, that was built yeah. for, his, for his requirements, you know, to his spec. And you'll see him fly all the other planes because Extreme Fly will say, hey, you've got a new model, can you go and fly it? But the Slick was the one that was built to his specs. Now, not many of us would be able to handle that kind of aileron roll, like he can. Um, but he his flying pushed Extreme Flight to a new level as well. And you know, Ido Segev said to me one day, he said, 10 years ago, we couldn't fly like this. We couldn't fly like Jace because the planes were heavier and the power wasn't there. Now we've got um, a lighter airframe right so the power to weight ratio is a bit better uh and and we could throw them around a lot differently so an found we were in china with jace in 2018 Edo had hardly been flying all year and he was really nervous but jace was also nervous because jace really liked Edo. because long story behind that but anyway by the time Edo had flown for three days he started flying more like jace hmm. and he realized because the plane could do it and he, and he said to me we just This is amazing. We've got this power now, you know, and not just the power, the servos as well um, yep. that can handle everything.
1: To, to, and to, the thing is about servos is people talk about torque and they often don't talk about torque in the relative terms of the throws we're expecting. Yes. And that's the key part. If you're expecting 30-degree throws for snap rates on an IMAC plane, that's a very different ball game to 60-degree throws for um you know doing crankshafts and things like that like we're watching jace do and that and like neil kapalerik i hope i'm pronouncing his name right just, they posted a video of him doing a crankshaft with uh over at the uh shootout and it's just unbelievable Brilliant, that a 120 cc yeah. plane can handle that and what's so good for journeymen like myself is to see that and go you know what? Nothing I do is going to break my aeroplane. <laughs> Unless I make uh, on a, uh, contact with the ground, I'm not going to break the plane. They're just that strong.
0: Extreme Flight get a model, a prototype, and they send it to Jason. Go, see if you can break it. Have a go. Okay. Now, I want to ask you some questions around giving some people some tips that want to get into sort of 3D flying. Now, you've got to a point where, where you know, the videos that I've seen, you're a good pilot right? You, you can fly low, you can do a lot of these different manoeuvres. Looking back in that that learning curve, what are some of the tips that you'd give other budding 3D flyers that you've learned through experience? Ah, that's a really good question. And
1: I, I don't think I'm going to give many tips on what I'm doing now, but I think the tips on the things that gave me the confidence to keep moving forward was that I did put a lot of time into following the people making content, uh, showing how to build planes and how to set up planes and trying to absorb as much of that information as I could because I think, you know, there's obviously two elements and one is being willing to spend time on the simulator and have that at practice as well as time at the field. But the other is being able to feel really confident that you've put together a plane that you can count on. And I really got to that point Largely through, you know, following the, um, obviously, Jace's builds on YouTube and the Extreme Flight Owners Group and how to 3D manoeuvres and, you know, just the daily consumption of those kind of things really helped me to understand what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing when trying to put together a plane that's going to be reliable week in, week out.
0: It's an important thing. I, I've always found. I've always said to people, if you want to know how to build a reliable plane, go and talk to a three D flyer, because what what we're looking for is reliability. Because you know, if you're hovering a foot off the deck, you don't want things to fall apart. We're stressing airframes to a different level than the average average flyer, and so. Um, there's a reason why you know people are building 100 100 cc is they're putting good gear in them and quality gear and certain torque servos and and you know carbon props and all that kind of stuff. There's a reason why we do it all, and that can flow into other areas of area modelling as well. If you're building a giant scale plane that you've spent hours and hours and hours building and you don't you know, you want to give it every chance to survive, well then take a leaf out of some of the the, the aerobatic guys as to what gear their views and and put that in your scale plane, it'll be more than fine.
1: I think that's spot on. And I think when you look at where you're getting advice from, because you get a lot of advice when you look for it in this hobby and most of it is really good. Some of it maybe not so good. But the key thing I've found is to look at the people doing what you want to do and emulate them. You know, if you have the good fortune to fly with you or to Wormy or, you know, any of these guys that seem to be able to put together really reliable planes and go and have fun every weekend and put lots of practice in, look at how they're doing things. You know, look at the kind of gear they're using and really try to just emulate that because if you want to have the same experience as them, the steps to doing that is probably just putting your plane together in a similar way to them. 100%.
0: Totally and utterly agree. Like we're on the same page, and I think because we've, yeah. we've got a similar yeah, there's journey. Not a, not a, there's not a lot of controversy in this episode. No, there I'm isn't, sorry. isn't it? It's like a love fest. <laughs> but no, yeah. uh, I, 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 I was fortunate that I had Ido Segev next to me, and and he would he would share his experiences of, of everything, and. and and I couldn't dispute anything that he had uh, that he'd said. And even um, I really would like to t- get John Ducey, Jace's dad, on because John builds a lot That'd of the planes.
1: That'd be a great episode. But that th- would be absolutely. My, worth only, a
0: listen. my only concern is he's got a very very simple philosophy in how he puts the planes together for Jace. They are not complicated at all, at all. I, mean, like, I, I, I think looked that's... inside and I went, "Gee, it's just they use Spectrum power safe receivers. They're not using any." you know, um you know, power regulation or anything like that. It's just yep. really, really simple, straightforward setups. But they just work. And uh, what you find is a lot of those kind of people that have got that experience, they've got little time for people to want to go, oh no, but I think you should do it like this. They're like, Yep. Have you seen the kid fly? Yeah. Did it fall out of the sky? No. Okay, so it works.
1: <laughs> I think you've really nailed that there because there's a there's an impl- a lot of people do overcomplicate these things and the reality is that the things that are really counting are simple to get right. Like they'll have their geometry right. They'll make sure they're using all of the resolution the servos can give, um, and they'll make sure their hardware is bulletproof because it needs to be. As in just making sure that the throttle linkage is good. Really basic stuff, but that's the stuff that counts. It's yeah, yeah, we see people with voltage regulators running 3S stepping down to 8.4 volts so they don't have any voltage sag or things like that. And it's like really, it's really hard for me to imagine that
0: actually makes a measurable difference. Well, with a lot of these planes, nobody's going to notice it.
1: Like if you're yeah, running a 2S
0: lipo system through it's yeah. unregulated, you're still punching yeah. more than enough voltage through the whole system, and your voltage drop is going to be what by the time it gets from one end of the hundred cc to the other is is going to be minimal kind of thing, and the average punter's not even going to notice the difference. And I'm
1: I'm someone I'm a, I'm on team lithium ion these days. Um, I've made moved all my planes over to lithium ion, and um, I use the Boomer packs. Um, they've been bulletproof for me
0: for a, a, quite a while now. Are you using um, are you using um, IBEX or you've got a, a, an ignition pack as well? Um, oh, again,
1: actually we have got some controversy here. I do like, well, I like the Boomer RC uh, IBEX now. I was using the Tech Aero before, but I've moved my planes over to the Boomer RC one. And I, I personally do that. I like that I have my telemetry. For my flight packs and i'm always kind of been a bit nervous running a separate battery about you know checking that because i'm so, a part of my pre-flight ritual is left right up down left right and a quick glance at my radio screen to see that my voltages are all good and um, so yeah i am an ibec user um wormy is actually our not argued. He's made his opinion very clear that he doesn't like them.
0: Um, he's quite fond of the separate pack. Is he? Oh, um, I've got Ibex yeah. in both my 100cc. It's just so much yeah. easier. That's all I run so these we're, days. We're and older than him and we just can't be bothered. So two packs, we're lazy. three.
1: That's it. And like I'm now um, – I was talking to Riley about this the other day actually that you know we're both in that group now where we're just running two 2S lithium ion packs. In our uh, 35% planes with an IBEC and you know, you get a lot of flights out of that setup. You've got, we've both got the uh, Advanced Radio um, AR Extreme Distro on board, so we've got the telemetry to keep an eye on those voltages. And it's the thing is about lithium ion is just the big thing for me is just the safety, and the safety doesn't just end at flying the plane. It's it's a handling and it's a charging thing that the chances of one of those lithium-ion cells causing a fire is so much lower than a LiPo. And I'm not for one second saying that LiPo is not an important part of the hobby because I can't imagine flying electric models without it. But if that's a risk I can cut out, I'm really happy to do it. And when I was flying turbines, I had the same kind of philosophy that I'd much rather having lithium-ion packs in my turbine
0: models than lithium-polymer. Yeah, there's a big shift towards them, and uh, that's something that I I will get to. I will well, get the current
1: cells are capable of 10 amps continuous, you know, and that's really way beyond anything we're going to use. And also the energy density is better. So the actual, like, the amount of usable power in a 3200 milliamp 18650 is yeah, it's um, far more than the same weight in lithium polymer. So... Yeah, How it's do a, they
0: compare weight-wise?
1: Um, well, the energy density is better, so they are lighter, um, lighter per weight if you um, work out. And, again, it's not – comparing like a 3,200 milliamp lithium ion to a 3,200 milliamp lithium polymer isn't exactly a uh, – the electrical engineers are going to really pick on me for this because I'm probably not saying it right, but it's not a very fair comparison because the usable power in the lithium ion is higher. Yeah. Okay. Because if you actually look at the discharge curve of a lithium ion versus a lithium polymer, you can go deeper into the pack of a lithium ion pack without damaging the cell That's true. than you can with the lithium with polymer. Lithium,
0: yeah. See I use lipos in my in a lot of my gases for receivers and but I'll sort of swap them out after four flights. Yeah. Just to be on the safe side. Even though I'm probably left, but. doing the
1: same thing with thirty two hundred milliamp lithium ions in the plane, but um, I was chatting to Rick Jell about this, and he I was talking about sort of voltages and where we should put the telemetry alarms at, and he was like explaining to me that I'm very much on the conservative side of things, yeah. which is ultimately where I like to be. you know <laughs> you know I think after four flights I'm quite happy to four flight five flights, I'm quite happy to pull the batteries out, charge them or throw a fresh set in. and yeah, I'm lucky. I think. We're
0: very, very yeah. similar in that in that mindset I, as well. I, I want to be on the conservative side always with flight packs. These yeah. models aren't cheap to me yet. <laughs> no, no. Well, it doesn't matter even if they, if you can afford it. Oh, Your safety, safety is safety is critical. Okay. I, 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 I'm always checking um, packs in between flights. Just telemetry, it's telemetry. It's well, a, okay. I, so no, I've fly. got I've got telemetry. I've, so I run Spectrum and I've got a yeah. DX18 transmitter. So I don't have voice telemetry, which I would would like, but um i've just bought a whole bunch of discontinued telemetry modules uh bought two from a guy in South Australia that he that he was going to use in some models cuz you can't get him anymore um and and i've got some of the older spectrum you know power safe receivers and all that kind of stuff yeah and they don't have the integrated telemetry so yes it, but i think the fr Sky telemetry is probably better than spectrum to say that but uh, i've got temperature sensors that i put on planes um and with and with alarms set um and then to to monitor the flight packs, I've just got to I've got to add some other bits and bobs, which I don't think you need to do with the current generation of stuff. But I don't think, mine, I think I think the current
1: PowerSafe has that all built yes. in. So yeah, yeah.
0: actually, there's, there's been a lot of contention because the, the the current range of spectrum PowerSafe receivers has gone up in price, and I keep yep. going, and everyone says oh they've gone up, and I go yeah, but you're not comparing apples with apples because it's a different beast now to what the original PowerSafe was. So for example, you've now got the integrated telemetry into it. Well, that's going to come at an extra cost, and yeah. if you had to buy a telemetry model, well, there's a hundred bucks that gets in the in the way as well. So, yep, the, it might might have gone up hundred and fifty bucks, but you got two hundred bucks worth of value, extra value out of it.
1: Oh, I I can't imagine telemetry is something that when I got back into the hobby a few years ago, I would see it advertised with radios and equipment. I would go, oh, you know, that just seems like too much work. But it's become such a key part of my flying week in week out from a safety perspective from an altitude perspective because i fly at some clubs that are very sensitive to the 400 feet rule and as you know a 120 cc model eats up 400 feet in one bite uh and i can't imagine building models without it now it's just it's a part of my safety in fact um uh a combination of the uh advanced radio switch and um My FreeSky system actually saved um, a 90-inch plane from having an accident a little while ago. I was using Hobby King 2S lithium polymer batteries uh, in this model and both batteries were reading um, fine on the ground, but when I'd start the model, uh, the voltage would drop off really hard and it seemed very strange. Anyway, so I sort of did some investigating initially thinking the switch was faulty. Actually, it turned out that the soldering on the lithium polymer battery was dry on the uh, positive terminal, so it was making content contact. But when it would vibrate, it would break contact. And it was one of those scenarios where, you know, three flights into the day, I would have been only flying on one pack when I thought I was flying on two. And without telemetry, I have no doubt that, you know, wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been that far away from having a model go offline and having that horrible feeling of watching your airplane crash with nothing you can do about it. I've got, um,
0: well, my, my crash jet, I lost the telemetry module, but, um, that's probably in the field somewhere, but it wouldn't be yeah. well we trust It the so.
1: the, detected the servo failure that caused that incident. Of course, let's just clarify that for the
0: audience. No, there wasn't any servo <laughs> failure. There <It> wasn't radio <laughs> failure either. Well, Barry no, Worm, no. he told us what went wrong. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, yeah. The peanut gallery we, all had their ideas of what it was, and then I, I was sort of, of sat furious. back and went, "It wasn't radio." I can tell you now, it wasn't radio. But anyway, the um, sorry, but I, could, I bought. I, I had um a jetcat, so it had a Jetcat turbine, and and I'd bought the jetcat telemetry module to get um, telemetry back to my radio. And I lost it all, But and I wanted to do it again because in the startup phase, I get all the information on my screen. I can see what that turbine is doing, exhaust temperature, RPM, the state that it's in in the startup phase kind of thing that I knew when, okay, I can drop my throttle now because I'm at this thing. And I really, really wanted that back because, again, I like to make sure that everything is okay so i ended up finding one in the us at really good price like really good price um brand new from a shop over um over, over in florida or something like that and um i just received it last week waiting for the turbine to be fixed it's been it's in germany uh, but really really want to have that telemetry and the number one reason why i would upgrade my radio is to have voice telemetry because i don't have voice telemetry. it's it's
1: and looking at turbines and my turbine experience is very limited but I looked at flying my pilot RC Predator, and I had a SWE wind turbine in that with telemetry. And it was, A, great to know the startup phases on my radio so I could see what was going on. And like you said, exhaust gas temperatures and that. But the other thing which was great with the turbine model is, you know, flying a casino with, you know, four other jets in the air, um, knowing that my radio was going to shout at me if my turbine was stopping was a really comforting feeling because the amount of times you'd see someone put a turbine model in out you know a long way out from 200 feet in the air just sinking into the deck because I haven't noticed they've had a flame out
0: yeah can not hear and it. and
1: because if you can't hear it you know or you don't get a puff of smoke you're just not going to know and it, yeah I'm, I'm a I'm a big advocate of, of telemetry I just feel like it's something that's yeah growing for a good reason because we invest so much money in these models and If something can – in the situation where things go bad and something can give you a a little bit earlier warning, that can be a big difference between a bad outcome and a good outcome. I even like RPM telemetry on my 3D planes. Think about, you know, you're doing those low RPM flat spins and that kind of thing. I have a 1500 RPM um, warning set up, and uh, it's never gone off to me on me while I'm flying, but it just gives me a lot more confidence
0: yeah even i've had temperature sensors even on my 30 cc i had a a temperature sensor and the and i had an alarm set up and i became i knew how to cool an engine down so for example if if the alarm went off i'd go straight into knife edge and because the knife edge would suck the air with that nose up sort of kind of attitude would suck air through and the alarm would go off straight away It wasn't just a matter of dropping the RPM. It was getting airflow through the the front. And I only learned that because I had telemetry, that this is what I need to be mindful of. Then I started, um, you know, thinking about cooling it down um, and even being mindful the day that I fly it, like that it's, you know, I don't want to fly on a really stinking hot day because, you know, it might start to overheat and that kind of thing. So that's where I like to... Yeah, but so, so, yeah, we've got very similar, oh. similar tastes. Like um,
1: I found it was fascinating when I sort of started running telemetry to learn that like
0: uh,
1: rifle rolls were something that really brought the temp up. I didn't really expect that because I thought of, you've got a lot of forward momentum, so you don't expect the temperature to come up, but that really brought the temp up. Obviously, things like knife edge spins and, um, blender and funnels and things like that cook engines, but you expect them to cook engines. But I found, yeah, I was really surprised to learn what sort of things would bring temps up. And, you know, if you're, if you're flying around at half throttle, full throttle, whatever, straight and levels, you know, the thing becomes a popsicle and freezes, gets quite cold quite quick. But, yeah, a lot of the 3D we do. And it's surprising, too. Um, I find a lot of people talk about hovering bringing temps up. But I've actually found that when you're hovering for a long time, um, the temps stay pretty stable because we've got such ludicrously powerful engines that you know you're sitting at a third throttle to hover most
0: of these planes now they're not really working that hard no they're not are they they're not at all gee we've covered a lot of ground uh it has been a love fest because it's only because we're on the same page uh yeah okay so i'm going to wrap it up because my wife's sending me messages see what's happening now is winter has hit down here in in victoria and it's freezing at the moment, and I have to turn the heating system off in the house to record the podcast. And <laughs> she said to me, I said, I'm doing a podcast. She goes, that means you turn the heating off. Yeah. Well, and she said, well, it's freezing in here, and my son's not feeling well. He's got the flu. And I said, well, I have to, you know, because otherwise it makes a lot of noise. So I'm thinking about having the winter series, where it might be a bit shorter. This is a long one, but that's all right, because we've oh, had a good yeah. chat. But she's already sent me a message saying, how long are you up to go? Because it's freezing. And I said, okay, coming. So the final question. It's the one that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to. And it'll be interesting to see what your answer is. What has been your all-time favorite model?
1: Oh, that really um that really is tricky. I think that the biggest problem is that, like I said, most of these things are really good. And uh, but my all time favorite to keep it simple is probably what I'm flying now, the 104 inch scaring extra NG. I uh, I just I like it as how it is to put together at the field. I liked how it came out of the box, and I really love how it flies. Oh, I love the scheme. Um,
0: I reckon it's one of the. That's, it, that's
1: a key part for me as well. I actually had the 91 inch in the yellow, and I I probably like the yellow better, but I really like how it looks and flies, and yeah, I couldn't be happier with the plane. So out of all the planes, I'm really spoiled to say that these days I'm flying my dream airplane. And that's my favorite. But this, can I just, I know you're trying to wrap this up, but real quickly, I'm about to pick up a 120-inch Bushmaster. Oh, so I may are have, you? I may have a new favorite oh, in a few weeks' that, That's a big plane. That's been my dream for a very long time to find one of them. And uh, so I may have a new favorite because I had the 88-inch and that was just, or the 84-inch, and that was just absolutely fantastic. And
0: so, What's the wingspan of the 120? It's big, isn't it? It's one twenty inch. Oh, it's 120 I haven't got inch. the one twenty oh, cc. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I
1: can't quite justify the one twenty cc because that's that's as big as my car. Um, but yeah, the one twenty inch bushy is. Uh, well, what are you going to put in that? What is going to? Um, it's actually already got a da seventy in it. So a very nice engine, very smooth engine, which is perfect for it. So.
0: Yeah, that I really That's can't wait to unreal.
1: post some videos of doing some,
0: uh, having some fun with that. Yeah, getting low with it because they'll, they'll they'll fully 3D those those planes. But
1: they're just, and from my experience with the 84, it's like it's like 3D but on easy mode. Um, <laughs> you know, it does everything a bit slower.
0: I say that they're they're if you're, if you're an aerobatics fan, and you want to go to funfly events, then go and buy something like that because you can it can it's it it's in place with like a scale kind of event because it's a bit scaly. Um, and a bit different to, you know, an aerobatic plane. Plus, when you're at a fun fly event, it's very hard to get the sky by yourself. So you will be flying circuits. So you can still do some knife edge passes and stuff like that and get your aerobatic kicks a bit, but uh, you can also trundle it around really slow in like stall mode, as well so it's got a, a good flight envelope so that's why i've got a 3d hobby shop bigfoot for that exact reason that exact reason and so man, when I, funny, go, like- I go to a flying a fun fly event i said to a mate the other day i'll oh, shepherd mammoth i'm gonna fly the bigfoot why are you gonna fly that why don't you fly one of your 100 cc's because i said well what 100 cc a plane to fly circuits i'll go and do touch and goes with my bigfoot and do a few knife edge passes
1: yeah and like uh, the funny thing for me is like the events i flew at with the 84 inch with the public involved the eighty-four-inch Bushmaster got way more love than anything else because it was just so comical seeing a um a beaver hover over the deck or do rolling harriers or, you know, things like that. So yeah, as far as fun goes, I'm I'm actually always surprised that there's not less of that style playing in this 3D world because they are just capable of so much and they are just so much more
0: relaxing to fly in I my experience. That could be one of the new time, yeah, one of your all-time favourite models. Next time we talk, it might be it. I'll uh, be updating my list potentially for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, Joey, it's been a pleasure to have a chat with you. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, talking about one of my passions being 3D flight and uh, excellent to have you and um, can't wait to have you back at, uh, sometime in the future.
1: Thanks so much for having me on the show, Andrew. Um, as a fan of the show, it's um, it's a lot of fun. About to leave,
0: Come with me. I'm not really we'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Joey for joining us. Uh, look, I am a, a, a card carrying member of the aerobatics fraternity i do love uh talking about aerobatics and talking with other aerobatic people because you know it's a, it's a strong passion of mine and got a good network of, of friends and so on in that field so always feel comfortable talking about aerobatics but that won't be every week we're mixing it up uh and uh so but we keep on flowing which is good uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast the youtube channel the instagram page which by the way we've reached ten thousand followers on the uh facebook instagram page and a lot of people um they see see the activity that i've got on the page and uh let's just put put this in context i started that page in the middle of 2017 and i posted almost every day almost every day uh so that's um actually i could probably tell you the stats i haven't done today's post as i record this uh, but I've done 1,407 posts to get to 10,000 followers uh, so that's a lot of posting and consistency to, to, to put stuff out there so for anybody else that wants to build an Instagram following you just got to keep the content flowing uh, I always had a gold 10,000 because it meant you used to be able to get a swipe up on the stories and Instagram stories and of course what did Instagram do they've taken the swipe up feature out it's now a link feature which everybody gets for free and so i don't get the benefit of all my hard labor but anyway a bit of a milestone that i gave myself a pat on the back because i like give myself these goals so we're past that one um a few more goals to 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 tick uh in the box so we'll be back next week i will be in the u.s but uh i'll have a podcast episode out for you and i'll be back in the following week fingers crossed hope you enjoy your modeling